Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Peter chapter 1 verses 13 through 15, or 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Four. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Amy. This morning, we are going to be talking about holiness. We're going to be talking about holiness. I don't know about you, uh, but for me, early on in my Christian life, the word holiness almost had more of a negative connotation. When I heard the word holiness, it would bring to mind a bunch of different images. One of the images it would bring to mind for me would be a bunch of rules to follow. Because the people that I had maybe interacted with that wanted to be holy or to pursue holiness, had a bunch of rules that they needed to follow. Another image that came to my mind uh, when I heard holiness was boring and unexciting. Uh, Because, frankly, the people who said, I want to pursue holiness, their lives were boring and unexciting. Um, Another thing, I mean, along with that, they could often be grumpy. And so I was like, I don't know if I want to do that because I don't want to be grumpy. Uh, Another thing that came to mind when I heard the word holiness was judging others. Because those I had interacted with that said they wanted to pursue holiness, they thought they were the best thing since sliced bread and they judged other people. But holiness and those examples of what people might think holiness is, that is is not what holiness is. The root word translated holy simply means different. We are called to be different. We are called to be set apart. And 
our lives are to be different, not based on a set of rules to follow. Our living differently is supposed to be grounded in our understanding of who God is. And so this morning, we're going to look at five motivations that help us to live differently and their understanding of who God is, and that's what motivates us to live differently. So the first motivation is the grace of God. The grace of God. Look at your Bibles at verse 13. It says, therefore. Now, whenever you come across the word therefore in your Bibles, you want to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And it is there to point you back to something that has just been talked about and that it has implications for what you're going to do or the application that's going to happen. So you have to look back because that's important. You don't want to just start with the therefore and keep going because the verses before are significant in how you understand what's going to come. And what was talked about, we haven't been in First Peter for a few weeks, but in the first two messages when we talked about verses 1 through 12, we learned some things. We learned in light of God working in you, in light of God choosing you according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. He recreated us. We were new creations, but he recreated us to live differently. So we're, we're called to live differently and we're called to be prepared to live differently. We're going to get to the grace of God and setting our hope fully on the grace of God. But Peter first says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Preparing here literally means uh, girding up the loins of your mind. And you're like, what? What is that? Back in the first century, they wore a tire that was kind of long, robish, like down to the you know, kind of your ankles. I don't know about you, but if you've ever worn a robe that's kind of brushing, you know, the floor, if you've got that robe tied on and you start to like run, or maybe like in my house, if, if maybe I started to run up the stairs and, you know, that was hanging down there, I kind of trip over myself. So what they used to do is they would pull up, you know, the edges of this kind of robe-like thing and they would tuck it into their belt so that they could be ready to run to be ready for action. So there would be nothing in their way hindering them to do what they needed to do. And so Peter is asking us to do that. He's asking us to be ready. He's asking us to be sober-minded. As you know, if someone is intoxicated with alcohol, they are not in their right mind. And he's asking us to be not mentally intoxicated, meaning not to be distracted or uh, having our affections for things in this world. So in light of what God has done in our life, we need to be ready. We need to prepare and be sober-minded to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says here. That's our motivation. Set your hope. Don't be distracted, brothers and sisters, by the stuff of this world. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Now, obviously, grace has come. Jesus has come. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. But if you remember, as we were looking in verses 1 to 12, we were looking uh, at an inheritance that is to come. When 
everything will be changed, when all is going to be transformed. So we are looking to that grace that it's going, going to appear, and that's what we set our hope in. Because right now we live in a, a time that's called, you know, many theologians call it the already and not yet. So Christ has come, but yet we don't and have not yet fully experienced the grace of Christ. We've, we're not living perfectly. If you know anyone, you realize uh, we're not living perfectly. If anyone knows you, they know we're not living perfectly. But when we are with see Jesus face to face, everything will be made right. Every, so we're looking to that hope. And when we look to that hope, it has an effect. Titus 2 verses 11 to 4 say this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." So what we do is in light of what Christ has done and we're awaiting his return. So we want to set our hope. We want to be motivated to live differently because God has worked in you. He worked in you when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He continues to work in you. And on that day, when we see Jesus face to face, when, when the grace is fully realized, everything is going to be changed. Everything is going to be changed. So when you struggle in this life to live differently, when the world is pressing in on you, don't focus first on what you must do today. Focus on what, what that day will be like. That's what will give you endurance as we seek to live differently. So we're motivated by the grace of God and what he has done and the anticipation of Christ returning. Number two, we're motivated by the holiness of God. Look at verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. To say that God is holy means that God is completely separated from sin. And he's devoted to seeking his own honor. It's both of those things. He's completely separate from sin. There is no sin in him. And he's devoted to seeking his own honor. And because God is about his honor, we need to be about his honor. So we must separate ourselves from evil and we must pursue righteousness. So in our pursuit of separating ourselves from evil, when it says do not be conformed, look at your Bibles, verse 14. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. Peter's saying, don't pattern your life after what? Don't pattern your life after what it used to be like before you came to know Christ. 
Your life is different now. I know if we took time, we could spend the rest of the afternoon and evening and throughout the week recounting how God has transformed so many lives in this room or those who are watching online. But he's saying, don't pattern your life after that. Be aware, be ready. Don't pattern your life after what it was, your former ignorance. Be discerning right now, brothers and sisters. For us, Being discerning means don't leave your brain at the door when you are interacting with other people in your neighborhood. Don't leave your brain at the door when you watch entertainment, a movie, uh, YouTube, reading on social media. Don't let those things slip in. Don't let the thoughts and intentions of the world, the worldly thinking slip in. We want to be intentional. We want to be prepared, but we don't because we don't want to pattern our life after our former ignorance. And the world doesn't come to us in a way that just kind of just takes this bucket of this is how we used to be before and says, you need to do that. Because if the world did that, we'd be like, no, we don't want to do that. No, what, what happens is it slips in subtly. There are subtle messages that are there. And we need to be aware of those messages. We need to be aware of that. And we need to conform our lives after who God is. Rather than what's popular, we want to do what is going to last for eternity. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So our not being conformed is actually less about us trying to push away the evil of the world and more about pursuing righteousness. We do want to run from the evil of this world, but we need to pursue righteousness. In Ephesians 1.4, we're told that God has chosen us in Christ that we should be holy and without blame before him. Because we're living before him. Wes even mentioned this morning, because we talked about it last week, the Latin phrase, quorum deu, which again means that everything that we do takes place in the presence of and before a holy God. Everything we do, everything in our life takes present, takes place in his presence. There's no such thing as secular and sacred. It's not like we do secular things and then we do sacred things. Because this whole world, all of creation was created for God's glory. The idea of secular and sacred being separated, that's something that the enemy has slipped in because there's nothing that was created for his use. It was all created for the glory of God. And all of life is lived to be for the glory of God and the holiness of God. Now I want to be clear, this is not to be burdensome. I'm not sharing this because it's meant to be like God's just sitting up there. He's just waiting for me to do something wrong so he can tell me about it and smack me across the hand. That's not what's in view here. Maybe that was your experience growing up with your parents. Maybe that's been your experience uh, on a job where you're just, there's some authority figure that just seems like they're just looking to 
They're looking to find out something wrong, and they're looking to just, hmm. That's not what's in view here. What's in view here is a constant awareness of his awesomeness. Just a constant awareness of his awesomeness. Somewhat like when you're in the presence of someone who's really good at something, and yet they raise the level of ability of those around them. Maybe if you have played on a sports team and there was someone who was just a really great athlete and they raised the level of play of everybody else just because they were good. Or maybe you've played in an orchestra or in a band where there were individuals who just played well and they would carry your section, they would raise the level of ability. Or there are any number of other things where someone who's gifted raises the level. Well, God is categorically different than that because he's holy. And so when we look to him, it, it changes the way in which we live. I love the description in, in a modern day hymn called In the Presence by a man by the name of Mark Eltrogi. You may never have sung this song. It's probably 20, 30 years old, but this is how it reads. In the presence of a holy God, I bow down and I adore. You reveal the secrets of my heart and I am shaken to the core. In the presence of a holy God, there's new meaning now to grace. You took all my sins upon yourself and I can only stand amazed. So I cry, holy, holy, holy God, how awesome is your name. Holy, holy, holy God, how majestic is your reign. And I am changed in the presence of a holy God. But it doesn't stop there. He's like, in the presence of your infinite might, I'm so small and frail and weak. When I glimpse your power and wisdom, Lord, I have no words left to speak. In the presence of your glory, all my crowns lie in the dust. You are righteous in your judgments, Lord. You are faithful, true, and just. And I cry, holy, holy, holy God. How awesome is your name. Holy, holy, holy God. How majestic is your reign. And I'm changed in the presence of a holy God. Friends, it's not first about a list of things that we must do. There are things we need to put off. But if we take the time to be aware that we are in the presence of a holy God, it will change us. It will change you. So I would encourage you to to make time to spend time. You're always in his presence, but make time to remove distractions so that you can become aware of what is true every moment of your day, that you're in the presence of a holy God, a holy God who is loving. Because when you're in the presence of a holy God, you will have a holy hatred for sin, but you'll also have a passionate pursuit for his glory. When your life is focused on delighting in his holiness, 
your life will look different because you're going to be drawn to him. You're going to be drawn to who he is. So let's not see holiness as, uh, with all these negative connotations. No, they're, they're everything opposite. They are to point us to the God who is holy, who is like no other. And when you are in his presence, you don't want the other things because you realize they're not satisfying. You realize they drag your soul down. But when you're in his presence, you don't, you don't actually want to leave his presence. And then when you go to live, you're, you're aware of his presence and you are actually delighting in being different rather than feeling the burden of being different. And we're going to need that awareness, friends, as the world continues to push its agenda and an agenda that's wanting a world without God. And that undercurrent is there. It's, it's there in every major headline in the news and has been for a long time. And to, to fight that undercurrent, we just need to be in the presence of a holy God. So we're motivated by God's holiness. We are changed in the presence of a holy God. Friends, I must confess, I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I like to get things done. I like making lists of stuff that I've already done just so I can check it off. So I want to do something. But what I've learned is not that I must do things because what we do isn't to earn us favor with God because we have earned favor with God because of what Jesus has done. And we're going to get to some of those truths in just a few moments. But what's most important is not that we accomplish that to-do list for God, but that we sit in the presence of God. Because that's what heaven is. Being in his presence. Being in his presence. That's what's, the, what's so wonderful and amazing about that day is because we're going to be in his presence and we have the wonder and ability to be in his presence right now because of what Jesus has done. So I want to encourage you, friends. In the midst of summer, maybe you're going to have vacation time. Maybe you're going to go somewhere. Take time. Schedule time during that time off to do nothing other than have your Bible open with a journal and just be in the presence of your holy God. You're going to notice a difference in your life. You're going to notice a difference in your fight against sin. You're going to notice a difference in the Spirit working through you and bearing the fruits of the Spirit because you've been in the presence of a holy God. Motivation number three, the judgment of God. Look at verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. I know it seems hard. We go from this holiness, this wonder looking to God, and then, well, how does the judgment of God, how does that help motivate me? We, we are exiles, friends. Even though Peter is talking to a people who were exiled from their particular place in Israel and they were in other parts of the world in the area we now know as Turkey, they were exiles in that way. But we are exiles because this is not our home. This is not our home. 
And one day there will be a judgment that comes where Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats, those that are found in him and those that aren't found in him. And so there is that coming judgment that's going to happen. And certainly in this life, God is not going to allow us to live a life of sin once we've come to know Christ. He's going to bring conviction. We know from Hebrews that the Father does exercise discipline in our lives because he loves us and cares for us. He brings conviction of sin so that we wouldn't stay in our sin. And so that is somewhat in view here. It is right to have a holy fear of offending God because of the judgment of God. But, but the main focus of this particular passage isn't so much the judgment on the last day of when, 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 when all is going to be made right or the judgment that's going to be happening. But there's an accent here where judge carries the meaning to judge in order to find something good. So when, when judgment comes, if you are found in Christ, rather than experiencing the full and complete wrath of God, you experience the favor of God. Because it says, look in verse 17, he's a father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. All that you do for his glory is seen. All that you do. Anything that's been done in secret, even if your family doesn't appreciate the things that you do for them in secret, even if your boss doesn't appreciate the things that you do in secret or even before his eyes, even if your parents don't appreciate the things that you do to the glory of God that's done in secret, all of that is known. And God is going to reward that. So know that when his judgment comes, it's not just something to fear in the sense of be afraid of, but know that it's going to be just and he's going to be handing out rewards to those who diligently seek him. Nothing that you do will be forgotten. So when you face the pressure of not doing good, when you face the pressure of acquiescing to what the world wants you to do, you can resist that because you can know the things that you do, though they may be persecuted or pressed against by the world, they will be rewarded by your Father who is in heaven. They're going to be rewarded. So the judgment of God is a motivator to us to live differently. And we can live differently only because of motivation number four, the redemption of God. Look at verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We were ransomed, friends. We were ransomed. We don't often come into contact with that word in day-to-day life. We kind of know what it means. 
Maybe we read it in some kind of novel where someone was in a far off land and a ransom was paid for them or someone was captured and they had to pay a ransom for them. But this is really uh, in the first century, the idea of redemption was a precious thing. Because in the first century, if you were a bond servant or a bond slave, you, you often were committed to do what the, the debt that you had to pay for life unless, unless you could pay for your ransom or unless someone could pay it for you. Different than maybe how we might think of the unfortunate, the, the horrible act of slavery that occurred in our nation where there wasn't an opportunity for freedom and unfortunately where the church in some parts perpetuated it wrongfully. But this, they were allowed to be set free. There were opportunities and so it was super precious. It was something that was desired. And it says that we were ransomed. Peter makes it clear that we cannot redeem ourselves. We were not redeemed with earthly things. It says with, with such as silver or gold. You can't redeem yourself by cre- increasing your bank account. If I achieve this much wealth, then God's going to accept me. You can't increase the opportunity of you being redeemed by doing a bunch of extra stuff. I'm going to do all these good things so that God will accept me. No, there's only one currency that can purchase our freedom. And that's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's the precious blood of Christ. Because this is referring to, because it says the the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In Exodus chapter 12, you don't have to turn there because I'm not going to read it all. But in Exodus chapter 12, we learn about the Passover. It's a time when the nation of Israel were oppressed. They were slaves in Egypt And they were asking to be let go. They were going to Pharaoh. Moses was going to Pharaoh saying, let my people go on behalf of God. Let my people go. And Pharaoh was like, no. And all these plagues came and plagues came. And then God said, no, I'm going to kill the oldest son of every household. But there'll be one exception to that. If you put the blood of a perfect lamb on your doorpost, when I come to kill the oldest son in the house, I'm going to pass over your house. So for those who are found, because we're all found in the place where everyone was at that time, and there's a day that's going to come where judgment will happen and we will have to pay the penalty for our sins unless... Unless there's blood on the doorpost. And so if you come today, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you come and repent of your sins and you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you put blood on the doorpost of your life. And on that day, you don't need to fear, but rather on that day, you can anticipate because the Lord's going to pass over you because you're now part of his family because you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And for those who have experienced that, we want to live in the good of that reality. You've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. The only way that you can pursue holiness 
It's because there's blood on your doorpost. Because Christ went to the cross. So rather than this burden of I must do these righteous things, when we are aware of what has been done for us at the great cost that Christ went to the cross, we want to live righteously. We want to be holy as he is holy because we realize the state that we would be in on the day of judgment. We realize where we would be going, but our eyes have been opened and we realize now where we are going. That we have that grace that's going to be revealed to us. So we're motivated to live differently because of what Christ has done and the redemption of God. And fifthly, we're motivated by the word of God. Look at verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You were born again. It says right there in verse 23, you have been born again. With an imperishable seed. I don't know what's happened to my yard recently. It doesn't seem, regardless of how much water we put on it, the grass just seems to die. And I think it's because the seed that was used was not the best seed for the soil that I have or the area in which we live. Because there's this interesting patch of ground right in my front yard where the city came and they helped put somebody else's water in across the street so they had to dig up my yard. And so we had to put some seed down and I went and was like, I'm going to buy the good stuff. So I have this like awesome patch of grass right in the middle of my front yard amongst a bunch of dead grass. Because we had the right seed. But this seed was the seed that was planted for you. And, and there's a sense. And once you've begun to, to grow in holiness, it's this permanent, it's, it's imperishable. Saying that it's imperishable affirms the permanent, even indestructible character of the seed that started this new life in you. So you were born again with this indestructible seed. So when the pressure comes, you don't have to wonder, is this going to tear up? Is it, when, when there's a drought, am I going to just turn brown? Uh, is this going to last? Absolutely it's going to last. Because the thing that got started in you wasn't something that you did. It was started by the indestructible seed of his word. And that is going to remain forever. So you can be certain. So the word that God has given us, you know, gives us life that endures forever. It's not subject to change or decay. And we can have confidence that our salvation is secure. And we can have confidence in that word to transform the hearts of others. We want to be devoted to the unchanging word because it transforms us. And it can transform those whom we share it with. Because we know from Romans 1, for 
I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What does it say at the end of verse 25? And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The gospel is the power of God. So when we go to share it, we can know that when we share this message, that God can plant seeds that don't pass away, that can bear fruit, that can transform a life. So we share it outwardly, but also we share it with one another because it has transforming effects for us. Look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why would we do that? Because it says, since you have been born again. The fruit of this word is that we love one another earnestly because we've been born again with imperishable seeds. So we don't want to let differences divide us or destruct us because the world is going to want to divide us and cause destruction. But when we remember we're in the presence of a holy God who sent his son, the living word, because the word became flesh, he sent his son to transform us. It makes all the difference in the world in our relationships here, in our relationships as we share Christ with those outside these walls. Friends, we live in a culture that's becoming more hostile to Christianity, it seems like, by the day. We live in a world that is demanding that we compromise. It's doing, doing it subtly, and increasingly, it's just right out there in front of us. It wants us to live like we did before we came to know Christ. That's what it wants us to do, and we need to prepare our minds for action. We need to treasure these truths about God, the grace of God, the holiness of God, the judgment of God, the redemption of God, and the word of God. We are called to be different because we're called to stand firm in holiness. Let's pray. Father, I'm aware we, we run the risk when talking about holiness of focusing on what we must do. We do want to put off. We do want to, to, to put away sinful behaviors and actions we want to repent of those and experience your grace. We, we do want to pursue righteousness, but Lord, we don't want to pursue rules. Father, I, I ask God that you would reveal to us afresh your holiness. And as we see your holiness, would that, would that transfer to our lives to live holy lives? God, I ask that you would help us not to run too quickly to the next thing today. Even as we respond in song, take us to our knees in prayer. 
Take us to our feet to praise. Make us aware of your glory. Make us aware of your holiness. Make us aware afresh of the reality that we can encounter your holiness and not be destroyed because we come boldly into your presence because of the blood of Jesus. Let that truth come to us fresh today and as we go home with your word that lasts forever. Lord, may, may we not remember my words, may we remember your words that you'd be glorified as we are holy as you are holy. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.